It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain... Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! You're listening to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name's Fergus. I'm your host. This week in our season of Tales from the Landscape and Folklore, we're heading to Orkney, where stories of the past burst from the landscape. Nowhere more so than at the Ring of Brodga, a spectacular Neolithic stone circle, which our own Annabel Ross is lucky enough to visit in the company of local ranger, Sandra Miller. So listen on for tales of folklore, history and mystery. Um, Sandra, thank you so much for, for spending the time to, to come and meet me today. Um, you are a Orkney ranger. Mm-hmm. What can you explain? Yeah, I'm the ranger here in the World Heritage Site in the heart of Neolithic Orkney. You're the ranger. At the moment, there's... A, <laughs> It's, it sounds like a ter- terribly exciting and a huge team, but the ranger service consists usually of about six people. Uh, there are four people who work with us seasonally, but in the winter, there's just down to the two of us. Uh, so we've just moved into the winter, and we seem to have the ring of Brugga all to ourselves. Did you? Did you? Did you? Did you mean that to happen? I wish I could say I arranged it specially for you, but um, if we were to step out from behind this great big mound, we would know it's a really windy day. Um, so I think a lot of folk have just taken a quick walk around and heading off back to their cars today. So uh, yeah, this is this, but this apparently this really, really, really windy Orkney day is a mild, windy day for you. Oh yeah, it's not too bad at all. I would just say this is a bit of a breeze. <laughs> well, we're, yeah, we're sheltering behind this mound. So what is this mound that we're sheltering the, behind? This, this mound here is actually part of this monument here at the Ring of Brodgar, which of course is part of the heart of Neolithic Orkney. But this mound here is called the Salt Now, and a now is just 
a mound. It's just a mound, a small hill. Um, and it gets its name from the salty water. The water in Stenisloch, just next to us here, is brackish, so it's a mixture of seawater and fresh water. So, so we have a strong tradition here in Orkney of naming everything for how it looks or where it is. So obviously this had to be the salt now. And what's, it's not a burial mound? Well, for a very long time, we thought, because of its size and shape, it was very similar to the tomb at Maysau, which is at the other side of the loch here. But uh, as part of the World Heritage Site geophysical programme, we had a good look at this, and what we found was we don't have a Maysau-type tomb here at all. What we have is a big pile of Neolithic earth that was repurposed probably in the Bronze Age, there is a kist in the very top of this. So this mound, there's a lot of mystery still surrounding it. So talking of mystery, um, the Ring of Brodgar has some stories around it, I believe. Um, so <laughs> I mean, you're not going to be far from a story in Orkney, are you? No, you're never far away from a story and you're never far away from folk tales as well. You know, we have an amazing amount of archaeology here in Orkney. We always say if you scratch the surface, it bleeds archaeology. And nowhere is that more true than here on the Brodgar Peninsula. But the reason that we have so much is because obviously it's all stone-based. We never had a lot of timber to build things out of. But historically, uh, as far as folklore goes, these mounds were often associated with the trows. Now, the trows are... What other folk will know as the trolls or the little people. Now, these were kind of nasty little creatures who could really spoil your day or spoil your life. Uh, so a lot of these places were left alone by people because they were frightened to dig into them in case the trows came and, you know, maybe stopped your cow from milking or stole your babies or, you know, just generally made your life really quite difficult. Have you ever um, felt the trolls in your in your life? Uh, thankfully not, but we have a brilliant expression here in Orkney. If you're feeling just maybe a little bit under the weather or, or you've maybe drunk too much of Orkney's good beer or Orkney's good whiskey, the next day you, you might just be feeling, like I say, a bit under the weather, maybe a bit headachey, and you'll often hear folks saying, well, I'm a pity bit trowy the day, and basically that means you're under the influence of the trows. Sorry, yes, I said troll, didn't I? So trow is T-R-O-W. Yeah, trow, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think I'll be all right. I'm only here for a short spell. I, I might survive um, the trows. I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> so the story of the Ring of Brodgar, um, what do we know about it? The, the, for the archaeologists, archaeological perspective certainly the ring here is you know one of the great neolithic monuments that we've got here in Orkney and it is like a lot of stone circles a complete mystery as to why it's here in the landscape but if you ask any of the the Orkney Burns or anybody here in Orkney they'll tell you these are not neolithic standing stones these are actually sleeping giants who've been turned uh into stone by the gods who allowed them to come here and dance at Brodgar And the deal was that they had to get home before the sun came up the next morning. So when we walk further around the site, what you'll see is a single standing stone further down in the field. And that's the stone that became the fiddler for the giants. Then further down the road, we have a big standing stone next to the bridge near the stones of Stennis. And this one was the watchstone. And it was his task to watch for the sun coming up in the east in the morning. However, these giants 
like a lot of folk who are having a good time, they're dancing, they're maybe drinking what we would call heather ale here in Orkney, and just generally couldn't, you know, get out of their groove, really. And as the sun started to come up, the watchstone called and called to his friends, get home, the sun's coming up, but they couldn't hear him. So slowly, as the sun came up, one by one, they were slowly turned to stone. But like all good fairy stories, there is a good side and a bad side. Because the watchstone tried to help his friends, he is allowed to bend down and have a drink from the loch of Stennis to quench his thirst at New Year. But the downside then is that if you should be passing, you too will be turned to stone. Oh, this is so wonderful. So, and in that, you mentioned heather ale. Heather What's ale. heather ale? Heather ale's an old drink that they used to drink here in Orkney. Certainly, you know, up to, you know, I can remember as a child, folks still making heather ale, and it's made out of the flowers out of the heather. It's just a nice, strong beer. In fact, I think sometimes it could be quite intoxicating. <laughs> so, um, so now the ale is made from barley or yeah, beer and things like that. Yeah, yeah we yeah. have a good tradition of making beer and things here. Oh in yes, okay, and the whiskey, of course, and the whiskey, of course, and yeah. the rum and the gin and the wine and oh, oh yeah. quite quite a tradition of yes. um, alcoholic uh, alcohol, alcohol making alcohol. We, we like our food here in Orkney. We like our food. Maybe not so much the drink, but we certainly love the food here. <laughs> so should we should we try and um, go out to the ring and see how the wind takes us uh, and give it a go? Yeah, I think that's a really good Lovely. idea. And we can have a closer look at the stones. Lovely. Thanks, Sandra. Um, so the other thing w- was that... Um, so I've, I've just been in Orkney a few days and I've, I've been looking on the maps and seeing all these different... Um, Burial ground, no, mm-hmm. like burial, burial chambers yeah, chamber that two. are connected to animals. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. you've got the eagle, tomb of the eagles, tomb of the eagles, yeah. tomb of the dogs. Yeah, Queen's associated with dogs. Uh, and indeed. tomb of the otters. Otters, that's right. Is it yeah. just those three? Uh, there may have been some others, but what we think is that in these tombs that they're including you know, parts of these animals, which suggest maybe they were viewed by the Neolithic people as totems or, or things that the, the communities identified with, things that would be important to them. Hmm. So I think that's fascinating. So otters would have been important to the people. They're called the otter people, were they? No, no, not at all. Uh, ah. these, these, pe- these people would just have been the Neolithic peer- people here in Orkney. Ah, OK. Um, so... This is a very dramatic day, actually, to be seeing the stones because you've got the grey behind and the sun coming through in front. And is it very um, strongly protected or is it sort of basically open to anyone to come and visit? Yeah, the, the, the monument is open the whole time, uh, 24 hours a day. Periodically, we do close the inner path to allow the grass to rest because on days like today when we've got... You know, a lot of heavy rain, it can actually damage the grass, so we're trying to to look after it as best we can. Uh, But, you know, the site is a very popular site, not just with our visitors, but also with locals as well. I think in the time that we've been chatting, we've seen local folk walking their dogs and they come here for exercise, so it's seen very much as a kind of public space here, which is really nice. Is it, um, am I right in saying that um, it's been said that it's older than Stonehenge? It's, some of the monuments here in Orkney are older than Stonehenge, but the ring here at Brodgar, it dates from around 
2500 BC. So that kind of iconic image that you've got of Stonehenge is roughly around the same date. This, this culture of stone circles seems to appear across the country around the same time as people are making permanent settlements in the landscape and beginning to farm um, for the first time. Okay, so here we are at the ring. And these stones aren't massively tall. I mean, they're much taller than you and me, about double us, aren't they? I couldn't possibly comment about (laughs) our height at the moment, but, um, yeah, these stones are not huge. But nevertheless, they can be seen, and they can be seen from quite far away. And we think this was the objective of the Neolithic people, that it was a place that you were drawn into, that you would be brought to and you could see and while we're standing here we can actually see for quite some distance away um, so it can be seen from lots of different directions as well so I can assure you all the folk over there can see the ring all the folk who live over there can see the ring so we think it's about the intention to draw you in to this central piece of Orkney because it is no accident that we called it the heart of Neolithic Orkney because you get a sense of being in the heart of the West Mainland. And if you look in the distance, you can actually see that we're completely surrounded by a natural amphitheatre of low-lying hills. So these Neolithic people who built these monuments, they recognised the landscape as being as important as creating the monument. It's, it's, an, it's, a, stunning, it's a stunning setting. When we came over the, the, the bridge... With the, um, the, the there was one of the, the standing watchstone, stone, yeah, yeah the watchstone. Uh-huh. Was is that bridge man-made? Was it an island before? That, that's that's man-made. So the landscape in the last five thousand years has changed a wee bit. So we're looking down here now on Harry Loch, which is our largest freshwater loch. But five thousand years ago, this wasn't an open body of water. It was a boggy, marshy wetland. And where we've just come from, we were overlooking this Stennis Loch. Now, as I said, you know, the Stennis Loch, the water here is brackish, so it's a mixture of seawater and freshwater. But 5,000 years ago, this was more a series of water pools and reed beds. You probably could get through it in a small boat. But where you came across at the bridge, there would have been more dry land in the Neolithic period. But what's really important for our understanding of this amazing landscape is that this strip of land, this peninsula here, would have stood noticeable within a wetland area, giving it a sense of being set apart from the ordinary world out there. So it would have maybe been seen as a special place. And what 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 do you think went on here? Well, that's one of our great mysteries, and we don't know. You, you know, we, we live in a time when um, we have access to all the information and all the technology that we have, but still these stone circles promote some mystery of and wonder. What we do know about the site is the stones here at Brodger come from about seven different locations here in the West Mainland of Orkney. So we think it's about the collective act of maybe bringing stones together in one place. So maybe these stones are brought to represent different communities. So it may be a place that's like a parliament or where laws were passed or the 
to connect other communities together. We may think we're all clever and sophisticated, but we need that human interaction. And in times of trouble, if your community is in trouble, you may rely on another community supporting you, perhaps in terms of if your crops failed or there was disease hit you or, heaven forbid, the trousers got you. You, 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 you know, th this is about a place of connection, about drawing people together, and that's really important. And it's something we're losing today in our communities. That's so beautiful. That's amazing because, um, yeah, so they could come together to discuss, you know, how to protect themselves or how to feed themselves or how to survive. To share news, mm. to share news. We, we enjoy meeting people from other communities, um, but also to renew kinships. You know, maybe someone left one community to live in another community. So kinship would have been really important to these people as well. I mean, you do have a very strong community um, culture in Orkney still anyway, don't you? Yeah, it's something... Basically, everyone knows what everyone's doing. Just about. <laughs> just about. And as I say, we can be seen for, for, by a lot of folk just standing here. So, you know, folks say to me, oh, you had a really busy day at Broadgar the other day, we saw all the visitors. And that's really nice. Mm. You know, some folk can find that type of kind of community quite oppressive, but it can also be very reassuring as well that folk are still looking out for each other. Yeah, that's really lovely. Um, so there was the, you, you've never in your head fantasised about anything happening here because you spend a lot of time here. How many years have you been working? I've been working here uh, 18 years now. So I, I spend a lot of time here and I, I still consider it my great privilege to meet people who come here. I, th I think one of the things that I have learnt in working here is... The, the Ring of Broadgar is an important place, not just for Arcadians, but for other people as well. It's the kind of place that people aspire to come to, in the same way that we would aspire to go to, I don't, don't know, you know, the Great Wall of China, the pyramids at Giza, things like that. So, so we're often at the end of a journey for a lot of people. So it is, so the opportunity that we're afforded in the ranger service is that we get to see this sometimes through other people's eyes and how they respond to it and it's it's always really quite nice and it's these folk enrich your life because they bring a different perspective you, you know to the ring or their thoughts about the ring and that's really quite nice and um we're not supposed to go in up to the to the ring are we uh, at uh, the moment no we're, we're we'll stay yeah. there's a sort of moat like a sort this of moat. Is, this is actually part of the monument. Now, it doesn't look terribly exciting today, but originally this ditch is actually cut out of the bedrock that Orkney's made out of. You're only seeing just the kind of top half. Um, where we're standing is we're standing just across from where an excavation took place here in 2008 to look at the ditch and to try and find some datable material. Uh, we were able to get some material from the bottom of the ditch, so we now know that the bottom of the ditch dates from around 2600 to 2400 BC. But uh, what is really nice is it gave me the opportunity to see the rock-cut ditch. And the rock-cut ditch, if you can imagine this whole thing being exposed, it would be quite bright and grey in the landscape and you could see it from quite far away. But for, for you and I, having compared our heights, there is about another five foot below that ground level. That we if could, we, we, we stood in it, we would beneath, be beneath the ground level in the bottom of the uh -huh. ditch today. Uh. So, so it's a substantial piece of work. 
it is a substantial mm-hmm, piece mm-hmm. of work, and and it's about a, a couple of acres, an acre. We're looking at a circle here that's about 104 metres in diameter here. The ditch itself is about four metres deep and about 10 metres across. They removed something like 11,500 cubic metres of stone and rubble out of this. But we're big mysterious. We don't know where that all went. Not, yes, not into the mound. Not necessarily into the mound. We actually think it, we should have had a, a very large earthen bank around the outside of this ditch, and we don't have that here. So what the ditch does is it's actually part of the monument. You know, most folk focus on the stones, but in actual fact, the ditch tells us a lot in that it says in there is special, in there is different. Only certain people get to go in. You only go in at certain times of the year. You maybe have to change your behaviour when you go in there. In the same way that we would go into a church or a cathedral, you walk a little slower, you talk a little quieter. So it tells us that it's a special place. Yes, so so it creates a respect before you enter into the rain. Mm -hmm. And um, so... Uh, oh, I feel so... Temp- my legs are trying to take me right into the centre of the ring, but I, it's OK, I don't, I, I'm going to respect it completely. But um, are there certain times of the year and special days of the year? Do you do you connect um, the Ring of Brugger with the uh, equinox? Or- we, we don't have any particular alignment that we know of or that we recognise today. But that doesn't mean to say there were alignments here that the Neolithic people recognised. Um you, you know, we're we're no longer connected as much to the the, the movement of the stars, the, the faces of the moon, because we think we're all really clever and we've got it all on our phones and our instant information. But for these people, they would be watching what's happening in the sky. They would be watching the changing seasons and how it relates to the sun and the moon. You know, the, the moon's important in that it, it governs the tide. So as fisher people that would have been important to them too. So there may be alignments here that we just don't know. But do you personally, have you been down here on a full moon or, a, or, a, or you, it doesn't, no? You know. No, I'm usually home having dinner. Yeah, no, <laughs> let's be sensible yeah. about these but things. But we do get a lot of folk. If we get um, the Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights, or as we call them here in Orkney, the Merry Dancers, um, because they dance merrily across the sky um, if you come here and the merry dancers are out very often it's very busy here because to see it in the sky across there to the north and to have the stones in front of people you know it, it would be really special it still is today but imagine be- 5,000 years ago you, you know I have a colleague who has moved here uh, this year and she comes from a big city and she told me the other day I saw the Northern Lights, but I also saw the Milky Way for the first time. Because we have a lot of background light in our lives, but for these Neolithic folk, the only light they had was from little oil lamps, fires on the floor, and what came from up there. So light would have been important. The fact that the stones point up are maybe giving us the biggest clue of all, that we should look up. We should look up. Mm-hmm. And... Um Yes, the aurora, aurora borealis, the merry dancers, mm-hmm. they're meant to be here this week, mm-hmm. Sandra. So mm-hmm. can you tell me what's going on there? Because, you know, I don't want to go home I th- I think without... They were, I think they were out the other night, but you'd really have to kind of keep your eye 
keep your eye on the sky, get away out of Kirkwall. I know where you're staying here in Orkney and certainly it would be a good spot just to take a wee look outside at night. There's a big Facebook sort of presence, sort of Northern Light Watchers and things like that that you can keep an eye on. So I'll okay. keep my fingers crossed. And yeah, we're here, to, we're here till Monday. Mm-hmm. You never know. So are. any time. Yeah. Any time. Um, should we go for a walk around? Is that, is that, is that, yeah. is that? Um, be quite good to, what, what maybe do is we'll maybe head down towards the, the Comet Stone, which is that single standing stone. Down yes. there, we'll, we'll get a wee bit of shelter down there. Yes. But also, if you remember, the Comet Stone is the one that's the fiddler that played for the Giants. Well, that's what made me think that um, I had images of sort of um, dance, you know, dances in mm-hmm. s- within the circle. Mm-hmm. And because if you've got the fiddler there, mm-hmm. then they'll be dancing up here. <laughs> so. Do, I think, do you know actually? I think the wind's dropping down, or we're just maybe getting a wee bit lower down here. So. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not too bad. It's, it's not, not too bad. Could be so much worse. It's a. It's a two. Pe- it's a one peg. It's a, It's. It's only a two peg day today. It's only a two I'll peg day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we get. We get up to four peg days here. <laughs> yeah. I, that's. That's. Uh, that's. That's an experience. I'm not sure I particularly want to. Uh, to explore. That's in January, is it? It. It can happen at any ta- Any time of the year. Uh, any time now, sort of from the equinox onwards in the winter time, we get uh, a lot of strong gales um, right through until the end of March to the next equinox. But, you know, we take it in good humour. Um, we tell jokes about the weather here. Um, they say that Orkney women only ever have two hairstyles. <laughs> we, we have the northwest and the southeast. <laughs> And, I, it, and I, it doesn't matter how much money you pay for it, it always looks the same. <laughs> yesterday, I can't remember where I was... Uh, yesterday I was walking on the beach um, just uh, just below Stromness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or around that, around that bottom corner of Stromness. Uh-huh. And I definitely came back with a very different hairstyle. Oh, yes, you do. Folk think it's a very glamorous kind of... To, to walk wistfully among the wind, but honestly, you can end up with hair like a bird's nest sometimes. <laughs> it was. I'm still recovering. <laughs> yeah, hat hair's a very common style as well. You always wear a hat, yeah. so it keeps your hair out of your yeah. eyes. Yeah, I need to. I need to remember that. Um, so, the there are the, the, I mean, the Ring of Broggar is one of your most famous sites yeah. on Orkney, but you have plenty. We we have so much here. We're we're very very privileged that we, you know our ancient monuments are a sight to behold. The privilege of having world heritage status for the heart of Neolithic Orkney is, is a fantastic thing. So that includes Scarabray, the stones here at Brodgar, the Watchstone, the Barnhouse Stone, the stones of Stennis, and now we're looking across here from the Comet Stone at the tomb at May's House. So what we can show people here, just in the Neolithic history alone, in just that tiny corner of Orkney, is quite literally from the cradle to the grave of how people were living in northwestern Europe 5,000 years ago. But we always say that whatever period in history you're interested in, we can show you something. So we have the Iron Age Brochs. We have Iron Age Brochs. Um, we have some beautiful palaces. But we have some really nice ancient sites as well. So we're very fortunate here, right up until our wartime history as well. Oh, the wartime history is a whole mm-hmm. other subject. Mm-hmm. So who were, where were the people from? The, near the, the, the Neolithic people, 
there's a couple of ways we think they're getting here. Probably travelling by boat uh, up the coastline, because remember, Britain at the time would have been very heavily forested, uh, dense forests, so they were probably travelling by boat. Uh, and it isn't far from the north coast of Scotland to, to actually get here to Orkney. Whether they came by accident or design, we don't know. And certainly there is the suggestion now that they may have been coming from sort of northwestern Europe around Be the Belgium area that we know today, uh, as we have a little mammal that lives here in Orkney, the Orkney vole. And its nearest genetic relative is actually in um, Belgium. So we think it may have arrived with the early people here. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Um, so the um, why we don't know why, but I'm just you know to to sort of to come from the from Belgium and sort of bypass the mainland yeah. and go all the way up to an island, thinking. Hmm. Mm. Well, having said that, it probably wasn't kind of something that they did in a couple of weeks. I think it may have been a generational thing, mm. you know, several generations. But, but nevertheless, if you look at Orkney today, and we're looking across at the, the lovely West Mainland, across to Harry and Bersie, uh, some of the finest Orcadian farmland, you know, the people who settled here were farmers. Um, and farmers like we are here today as well. So... They would come here, they would find... It wouldn't have been this lovely pasture that you see here, but reasonably good land for, for ploughing, growing crops, grazing animals and things like that. So, you know, we always say that the difference between Orkney and Shetland is that the Arcadians are farmers with boats, but the Shetlanders are fishermen with crofts. <laughs> so so that our big industry really is, is farming still today. And it's the reason why the Vikings probably came and settled here as well. They would have come initially probably as raiders, seen what good quality farmland is, because we forget that the Vikings weren't just these pirates of the sea, they also were farmers too. So they came here and settled here as well. So it's, it's a good place to live, still is today. <laughs> <laughs> we are leaning... Mm -hmm on one of the stones of Burgar, which is yeah. the... This is the Comet Stone. The Comet Stone. This is the Comet Stone. Who was playing the fiddle. That's right, in the folklore story. But the Comet Stone, we, we think it gets its name uh, from... You might have noticed that we could, kind of came up a wee slope to get up here. Um, it is actually one of what we think would have been four stones that stood here. Mm. They may have been part of an avenue of stones that linked the stone circles. But because we've got these four stones, it is suggested that maybe we have the foundations for a tomb of some sort. Uh, if you go to the tomb at Maze Howe, in the four corners there are what appear to be standing stones built into the wall. They don't serve a structural purpose, but what they do are perhaps symbolic. Um, so, so these stones here may have been the foundations, but the name Comet Stone, there are, there are a couple of schools of thought about it. If you can imagine, you know, the ring itself is like the orbit of the Earth, then this is like a comet passing by. Mm. But in Orcadian dialect, this is actually an area that you would call a cummy, which is a small raised area. It's not an owl like the big mound there. This is a cummy. So it would be the cummy stone. And it doesn't take a stretch of the imagination by, you know, maybe a Victorian map maker just to tidy that up a wee bit and call it the comet stone. Ah, uh, OK. So, so... We're leaning on a... How old is this stone? Well, the actual geology here in Orkney is 400 million years old. But um, this stone has probably stood here for at least four and a half, five thousand 5,000 years. 
I think I might be might not lean on it. It's, it feels dis- bit it's disrespectful. St- it, stood, it stood here a long time. It stood out here in the wind. But it is. It's special. You know what? What makes these stones so special is that they were brought here. They were chosen. They were quarried. They were moved. Remember, this is before the wheel. They are moving these things through the landscape. Some of these stones, we think, are coming from kind of rocky outcrops. So not the easiest place, places to bring stones from. For a long time, we thought they may have used what few bits of timber there were here in Orkney uh, as rollers. But the trouble with timber and rollers is they're kind of like supermarket trolleys. They don't necessarily <laughs> go where you want them to go. So what we think they might be doing them is moving them on beds of seaweed. You've walked on the beach, you know how slippery it is. So what we think is they may have used something like kelp. Now, kelp is, if you split it, it's slimy and waxy. But it's very easily to slide something like this along. So you would just create a pathway, slide it along, move that seaweed further along, move the stone again, keep it going the whole way across the landscape. We've tried it here a few years ago as part of some experimental archaeology at the Nessa Brodger excavation site down the road. And what we know is we can move stones like these faster with fewer people using seaweed than you can with timber rollers. Okay, that was the experiment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's got these um, sort of... Uh, the side of the stone is... Lo- it's very... Um, I've got all these yeah. sort of it's a sedimentary called? rock yeah, sedimentary. so we've got lots of these lovely thin layers and this was to the advantage of the Neolithic people remember this monument here and the other Neolithic monuments were built without the use of metal tools mm. so they're using things like antler picks and what we think they might also do is hammer wooden pegs between those layers and that would help split these stones maybe they soak the wood in, in water and that would help split stone but I know you've walked on the beach here at Orkney and you would have seen stones just yeah. like this yeah. lying on the beach almost ready quarried ready to go somewhere else who knows that somewhere else might be here yeah so they could have come up from mm-hmm. the beach just yeah. choosing but what we know here is that here at Broadgar they come from at least seven different locations some come from the head of Houghton which is about eight miles in that direction some come from Stony Hill, which is just across there. Eight miles on se- pulling yeah. on seaweed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Eight miles. Some, yeah, some come from just north of Scarabray. So these stones are being moved quite long distances. It would have taken weeks. Could have. Might have just taken a few days if you have enough people oh, dragging really? okay. these stones along. It's, it's, it's the act of moving these stones that may have been important. Because what we do know about Brodgar is not all the stones are here. There are sockets that were dug for more stones, but they never arrived. So we think it might be more about the act of bringing the stone from communities rather than the end product of the stone circle. Again, back to this, what we were saying about the fact that this is different communities bringing something to this central focus. I mean, if you go to St Magnus Cathedral in Kirkwall, the, the, there's a font just as you go into the cathedral and around the outside, there are stones set around the outside. These are polished stones. These stones were brought by the different communities, the children from different communities and, I, or, and islands in Orkney. And the meaning is that it's about the children of Orkney coming together in one place, but welcoming a new child into their community as well. So maybe this is what we're doing here too. 
Sandra, this is so fascinating. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to say goodbye there. And thank you for your time. Amazing. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, wasn't that lovely to escape all the way to Orkney? And just delightful. I've been dying to visit some of those amazing standing stones, mysterious places that seem to cover the Orkney landscape. So I'm very, very envious of Annabelle there, who meeting Sandra Miller and just finding that there's stories, the stories just seem to crawl out of the landscape. It's lovely, lovely. And yeah, I, I, the urge to go is, is growing on me. Maybe I could take the podcast team with me <laughs> because they're in the studio and it's really lovely to see you both on this cold November day. Same. Hannah and Jack, who helped Hello. me make the, the podcast. What did you think? Were you transported? I was transported. I had to listen to it in chunks as well because the wind <laughs> it really like sort of stressed me out. Just like that extra kind of presence in the audio. But it was lovely. It was so atmospheric. It's got such a tremendous sense of space. Yeah, you can really tell that they're there and experiencing it. It's lovely to have that extra element. So you grew up in Wales, yes. Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, rain, I, rain, rain, rain where you have. are, maybe. Yeah, yeah yes. okay. So I mean, I'm in the Banai Bachiniog, and if you go onto the tops of hills, even on a when it's in the valleys and the vales and the coombs, it's dry. There's just a gentle breeze up on the top. It's just a constant. It's not like gusting. It's just this constant it just wind. Moves, yeah. And I think that's what it's like on Orkney. I'm not sure I could live with that. No. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I certainly couldn't. I find that, like, the wind quite stresses me out. Like, it's just sort of... It's so kind of stimulating. It's very... Um, Too much stimulation. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I like the wind. Do okay. you? Are you a wind, yeah. wind, wind man? Oh, that's good. It's good that we've got a, a voice from the opposition. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the wind. Yeah, yeah. I'm not like anti-wind. I just <laughs> kind of just... You can get tablets for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I know it's like any weather. Too much of it's not a great thing. can cause a lot of damage and can be a bit scary. But, I mean, being on top of a hill, being out in an open space and just being blasted with wind there's just something about it i don't think you can get anything else like it where you're just like yeah. <laughs> do you feel like the outer layers of your yeah. skin are just blasted off and you come back refreshed and yeah sort of have to do the michael jackson and sort of lean into it because you're trying to get through it i think it's it's just 
there's nothing quite like that. Like you, you have to fight against it. <laughs> true, true. I, and that's the fighting. I think it can be quite exhausting. And I, that's that's a constant. But then but that's the fun it's thrill. Okay, yeah, you like a challenge. I have a photo of me on top of um, Sugarloaf Mountain near Avicavenny, where I live. But from a long time ago, before I lived there, it was so windy on the top, you could jump in the air and you'd be slightly parachute. You could parachute down slightly. <laughs> so there's one, not quite horizontal, but there's, you can see I'm billowing with... That's yeah. amazing. With, and it was so powerful, but yeah. The other thing that struck me, of course, there were lots of great stories of just, I love all those folk tales. And I mean, that's why we're doing this season, because we like to hear these stories that people have... I don't know, they just have emerged from the landscape. But it's the disconnection that she, that Sandra was talking about, that in olden times, not so olden times, but pre-modern times, pre, pre all this modern technology, people were very governed by the wind, the rain, the seasons, the time of day, length of night time, and other factors, that the tides. So, and it made me sort of ache for a simpler time, really. Did you feel, I mean, does that, does that feeling ever, do you ever have that feeling or are you sort of, are you, here we are podcasting with all the accoutrements of modern technology at our disposal. We've talked social media. I feel, I feel like there's still a connection there because I, I know. You. Yeah, well, I was going to. Or generally, do you think? I think generally I know it's going to merge into my sightings and happenings that uh, very recent this morning, uh, you probably, I think you would have seen it. The sky was very red. Oh, it was, it was beautiful this morning, yeah. yes. And I, I mean, especially around where I live, I, I know Bristolia, I know you get the farmer, whatever, but the whole thing of red sky at night, shepherd's delight, yeah. red sky morning, shepherd's warning, everyone always mentions that. Yeah. And this morning we woke up, and it it, it always feels a bit weird in my house because you kind of wake up and feel like you're in Blade Runner because everything's sort of in this reddy orange light and it feels all a bit weird. But... As soon as it happens, everyone always goes, oh, Whoa. God, it's going to be it's gonna rain. Gonna rain. <laughs> is that right? But it hasn't rained. No. Yet. Oh, is it going to? Well, I did. Here's a little shout out. I did check in with our friends at Boosie Science Focus magazine mm-hmm. to find out if it's true. <laughs> did you? <laughs> they are our friends. Here we go. It's an old wives' tale. What? And basically, but for people who aren't aware of it, basically the whole thing is if the sky goes red in the evening... There's good weather ahead. Yeah. If it's red in the morning, you've got bad, bad weather ahead. Now it says, here's a science for you. Uh, during the daytime, the sky appears blue because dust and particles in the atmosphere mostly scatter the blue portion of sunlight. Fine. Cool. When the sun is low on the horizon, however, the sunlight passes through more air than when it's higher in the sky. This means that by the time the light reaches us, most of the blue light has been scattered away from our line of sight, leaving the oranges and reds. Mm-hmm. Fine. Right. A particularly red sky results from high atmospheric pressure where particles are more highly concentrated and more blue light is scattered. A red sunset, therefore, usually means that there's an area of high pressure which is associated with clear skies approaching from the west. Lovely. If, on the one hand, you observe a red sunrise, i.e. in the east, it suggests that high pressure area has already passed overhead and is moving away. Lower pressure air will soon take its place, bringing rain or even storms. Hence the phrase, companion, red sky at morning, shepherd's warning. But you said it was an old wives' tale. But, but it's, it's right. debunked. <laughs> but it's correct. It's an old wives' tale that's it's correct. True. It's yeah. based in science. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So that's is, interesting. I, I just found, found so where's the rain then? Coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't say when. It could be several days' time. Stay, <laughs> stay tuned for the next episode when you find out. <laughs> See when did it, it rain. Yeah. <laughs> My aunt would always say, red sky at night, barns are light. 
red sky in the morning, barn still alight. <laughs> and that was her, her variation on the theme. I don't know if that's also true. I think there are variations, because yeah. I, yeah. I think there's a lot about um, sailors' delight as well, because I assume the same with the okay. sort of calmness uh, of the seas. That makes sense. Back in sort of times gone by, that's probably people lent on that quite heavily. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the point that Sandra was making, that, that every clue from the landscape, from the movement mm-hmm. of, of animals, from whatever they could glean mm-hmm. could help them save their crops or, 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 or do, you know, plan. There's all sorts of things about blossom and the timing of blossom. Well, Oak before ash. What I've been thinking about a lot uh, recently is how much fruit and kind of um, nuts and all the bountiful sort of autumn stuff that we've had this year and how in Lorna Dune (laughs) it's mentioned that they have a particularly kind of rich autumn because they're about to have a really awful winter yeah and so I'm kind of wondering like is there any truth in that are we expecting I've heard that lots of berries means Mm. that it's almost like nature is preparing itself yeah exactly it feels like there's a lot of science behind all of these even though they sound a bit mad. I, I think maybe like if back in those days they didn't have the scientific knowledge we have now. So like the stuff about atmospheric pressure yeah. and when berries will grow in what conditions. And it's because I guess it's even the things like I know a lot of people. I think I've had it when there's about to be a storm because it the I think I think it's to do with the pressure. Then you can, I kind of get headaches and stuff like yes, that. Yeah, yeah. And you can kind of go, oh, I've got a headache. That must mean the storm is about to come. Yeah. Birds, birds supposedly stop singing. Yeah. Mm. Storm. And so I think there's that. probably scientific reasons behind that, whereas in the past, they couldn't necessarily know why. Yeah. So it was just kind of like this whole thing of like, oh, I've got a headache, I feel a storm coming. Don't know why. It's just like, oh, a headache means storm. Yeah, or well, the milk's curdled. Yeah, and then yeah. down the line, as sort of we've advanced in scientific knowledge, it's kind of then going, yeah, even though it sounds mad, scientifically that's, kind of correct because of this love it i think we'd all find it really interesting for listeners to send us in your kind of old tales or sayings that you have connected to nature mm. or things that sort of spark you into activity because you've seen the cows lying cows down. Lie down it's gonna rain yeah. <laughs> yeah please send them in because we'd love to read them and and perhaps we can sort of we can delve into them a bit so yeah contact us um editor at countryfile.com or through any of our social media channels you can find country file magazine on twitter instagram facebook so do get in touch and on that subject of signs of things i well i'm going to start with my sighting and happening because it kind of leads straight from that winter thrushes i was out fishing on the canal very poorly without kevin parr our regular fisherman well, I'm, how do you I'm, even I'm go without kevin well i thought i could try <laughs> what a fool i was um i cast I cast and I cast again. <laughs> but uh, I think winter on canals is very tough I would, in my defence. But uh, just so many field fares through the oh, trees. They chuck, 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 chuck. That's sort of what they sound like. Maybe a little bit more musical. But they're a sign of you know, winter's coming. They come from Scandinavia with red wings, another th- a thrush-like species or another thrush species. Very beautiful birds. A kind of lovely delight in winter when we lose so many of our summer migrants. But they can be a sign if they're here in big numbers that they're here to escape a really, really harsh winter from where they where they live, uh, where they breed. So that could be that could be another sign. Are we due a harsh winter? The berries are here, the birds are here. How about you guys? Have you done any exciting things? Well what I've noticed this week, more so than any other week this autumn, is 
leaves on the ground and the sky just feeling so light. Now that all of the trees are kind of skeletal, it feels like the skies have just opened up. That's interesting, isn't it? That's that's a curious observation that we, we sort of don't want summer to go, but actually it does lighten up. It feels really yeah. bright and kind of airy and... We have had some blue skies after some very miserable couple of weeks. But yeah, the, have you felt that the autumn trees are... I mean, they've been incredibly beautiful where I am in, in Wales. And I mean, so beautiful that I have sort of walked around with my jaw hit, hit, hitting <laughs> the floor and sort of like a leaf plough ahead of me. Because it's just... I think it's that light coming through those gold, orange, red, brown leaves that's felt like... It feels like pure treasure. The colours have stayed around a long time yeah. this year, whereas previous years they've just sort of disappeared. You, yeah. What about you, Jack? It's pretty much my red skies. That's my red skies. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I like usual. Working in the cave. Working in the cave, but I do have a few trips coming up. So Very again, tune yeah. in to yeah. next week. You find out more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. We've had some nice reviews in, which I'm not going to read this this week. I'm going to do a collection of them next week, perhaps, because it's always nice to hear what other what people are saying. But we love to hear. Please send us more because we like to know what you think about the podcast, how we can improve it, or things that you've liked. Send in any sounds you've recorded because that's also a real joy for us to hear, little postcards. Anyway, that's it from Anna, Jack and myself this week. Thank you very much for listening and join us again next week for another lovely adventure in the great outdoors. But for now, it's goodbye.